All right, so with us today, we have Dr. Nicholas Wong. Dr. Wong is an apprentice intuitive healer, certified breathe wave facilitator, tuned earth sound healer, and psychedelic coach with the Magic Witnessing Meditation team. MWM is a team that is dedicated to helping others in their journey to understand themselves through various therapeutic practices around the Lower Mainland in British Columbia, Canada. The team was founded by Ivan and Lana Rados. Ivan is the head healer, best-selling author, artist, meditation master, and cosmic maestro. Lana is a gifted psychotherapist specializing in trauma, addictions, relationships, and psychedelic integration. You can check out their webpage for more information at www.intronotconcierge.com as well as book uh, a retreat with them or to personally contact with them, concierge at intronaut.com. That's their email. Um, this information was provided by Dr. Nicholas Wong, who was just uh, such a great person to, to talk with and hear his story and how he got to where he is with the Me uh, Magic Witnessing Meditation team. As for us, we have a webpage set up, www.probablywrong.ca where you can read blog articles as well as contact with us. So thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered, this is An Open Mind, and you're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. All right, we have... Nicholas Wong here today from uh, Magic Witnessing Meditation. Thank you for joining us. Thank so, you so much for having me, Robert. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, we had a bit of a preamble before, which was awesome. And uh, uh, you're a big fan of Lion King, is that correct? I'm a huge fan of Lion King. Yeah, it's my favorite Disney movie. I probably even put it as the favorite movie for sure. Yeah, okay. So that's why I love that you're wearing the shirt today. That was a sign. Dude, yeah. we just became we just became best friends because that's my favorite movie of all time. You must be thirty. How old are you? I am forty. I turned forty this year. Well, happy I watched, birthday! Thank you kindly. Yeah. Um, I watched Lion King though for the first time when I was about fifteen because when I mm. when it actually came out, I was told that you know Disney movies are for sissies and all that stuff. But when I watched it at fourteen or fifteen, and I. It was so touched and I was crying from it. I was like, holy shit, I was I was led astray all these years. This is this is the best. Yeah. So and it's always the original, like the cartoon. Like this yeah. the remake thing. Sorry, it was just not the same. No, I, I, I wasn't feeling it. Yeah. The fact that Mufasa was on there, like it was the original voice, James Earl yeah. Jones. I was like, okay. But then the rest I was like, they it's like they took the mysticism out of it. Yeah. They sanitized it. Right. They didn't just allow it to be, and they wanted to make it updated for the words and the terms these days, as opposed to just letting it flow, which is what happened in the original one. It was just, yeah, it moved me in a way that I didn't expect. Yeah, well, so, and actually, this, this does tie into what we're going to talk about, but okay. that, that movie is a transformative experience, and I loved it as a kid, and then, like, my life, so much of it, and maybe I'm doing this by design or whatever, but it almost parallels the 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 arc of that story mm -hmm. my dad died when i was 14 and then i just i you know i i went out into the woods and started partying with all my friends 
And then eventually yeah. there was a point when I had to come back and, and uh, you know, redefine and recapture who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I watched that movie. And when he sees his dad in the stars, dude, waterworks every time. Right. Yeah. So yeah. now correct me if I'm wrong, but you're into the transformative process as well. Is that correct? I'm completely into that. Um, remind me of that story about Mufasa and the stars. We can come back to that later because that will come okay. up later as well. Great. Yeah. Okay. So-, uh, so I'm into the transformative process. Um, the work that I do now, everything is about raising consciousness. Um, it's about waking up again. So reawakening ourselves and through so many different modalities, whether it's through, I first came across it through even just life coaching. I didn't realize coaching itself could be about that. And then uh, working with spirit plant medicine and then working with uh, even now breath wave. And I've got these giant tuning forks that I use for sound healing now too. So everything is about creating altered states of consciousness to help you remember who you truly are. And that's what most of us have forgotten. Why, why have we forgotten who we are? (laughs) It's funny because it's only during these last few months that I've actually started noticing and realizing part of it. It's, it's the programming that we have, um, whether it's society, whether it's our parents and it's not malicious. Our parents are teaching us the best that they know how, but they learn from their parents and their parents. And a lot of it sometimes is suppressing who you are to be as safe and as stable as you can be, or to fit in as much as you can as opposed to allowing ourselves to express, to remember who we are, to remember there's so much more to this life than what we can see with our eyes, feel with our hands. Um, That a lot of things that we're taught that are truths or facts are not actually truths, they're facts. They're just where we've gotten to as a human collective. This is what we believe is true. Um, Even I used to be a medical doctor. I'm learning more and more all the things that I learned and I assumed were true. For example, I had asthma for 30 years of my life supposed to be a lifelong disease that you don't get rid of and then I had one medicine journey that we'll talk about I'm sure later and I haven't taken any meds for my asthma since and my asthma was at the stage where people were like you're taking a lot of meds for that are you sure and I always had to tell them yeah I know I'm a doctor I, I know all the things I need to be to be stable and I know my lung function is only at 80 percent so I need to keep doing this for the rest of my life and now I've had better lungs and no meds for the past two years. And I'm like, I would never have believed that possible because I knew that it was impossible before. And now that I let go of that, knowing that it's impossible, it's like, oh, anything is possible. It's just maybe beyond my understanding. I may not be able to rationalize or tell you exactly the physiological mechanisms that took place. Yeah. But I can live without meds. That's good. So in that podcast that I was listening to, you talked about the yeah. logical brain. And I mean, the brain is like, I've seen the synapses and everything and it looks like a universe, right? Yeah. And and that just goes to say that the logical part of our brain, isn't it one of like the smallest parts of our brain? (laughs) Well, here's an even extra layer if you want to look at. So the logical part is, yes, it's it's not the whole brain, obviously. Mm -hmm. And what if we've been told that all the functioning of our thoughts happens in our mind, but what if it's beyond actually what we see as our physical 3D brain? What if we're actually an electromagnetic field around us and that's where all the information is actually happening, but we just don't know how to measure it yet. So, okay. Now I love this stuff. So are you saying, are are you saying that it's almost like there's a field around us 
like a, like a like a soul almost we've used so many terms you can call it a soul you can call yeah. it the word that i'm using recently is a biofield it's almost biological it's energetic it's a field and doing the sound work now i've got these giant tuning forks and i'm just learning more and more about it every day it's crazy that when i'm around different people's fields i can actually hear it when it's out of tune when there's actually some resonance almost the whoa 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 and it happens at different points in different people and it does relate to whether they have stuckness in a certain area whether they have pain in a certain area whether they have uh, trauma with their mother or their father at different stages in their life and as it starts to be entrained almost in the in the frequency of the tuning fork it starts to clear up and as it clears up they actually feel a release or they'll feel a release later so there's so much more that I couldn't explain and can't fully understand, but I know it's there. I believe it's there. Actually, I'll say I believe it's there because who knows what we'll right. find out another. Yeah. You you might notice that sometimes I'll I'll do this, but like, well, and then I'm writing right things down. down because I don't like interrupting people. But sometimes <laughs> I get so excited that I just can't help myself. So I, I do apologize if if I ever cut you off, but I'll quickly Please say sorry. Do. Yeah. <laughs> but so um I, I want to make sure I'm hearing this correctly. So you'll have the tuning forks say between the person and the sound is going through and it's like there's a distortion between that fork and this fork. So it's just one fork. Okay. Or, or usually or tuning. Yeah. 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 It's just using one fork. And as you, as you hit it, you know, tuning forks have a, a, a sound, like it's a constant note. It's just supposed to be there. It's not supposed to change. But as you move it around someone's field, you can actually hear and I can hear and now the people can hear too. They can hear the change. It's like, oh, that sounds flat or that sounds like it's wobbly for some reason. Why is that? And the only thing that's changed is where it is in relation to that person's body. And so there's something that's interacting with it that we can't see with our eyes. We've never been told is there, but it's kind of their energetic field. And we start noticing this more and more as you start remembering things like how can you tell someone's behind you sometimes how can you feel someone like we have these sensors in our bodies we just haven't used them for a long time i imagine and some people are more sensitive and some people are less sensitive and i think the the well i can't sense that so therefore it must not exist right whereas what if we could all imagine that you know everyone here is trying to be as honest and truthful some people are going to be more sensitive to things than others some people see things more clearly than others some people can jump higher than others and i'm not going to discount what you can see and i just invite you not to discount what i can see and maybe there's something there for all of us yeah well i think that that's such an important point because everybody has a different perspective a different perception right but then when we get into our, you know, or not arguments, but we get into conversations, it's like we're trying to share a myopic perspective. Yeah. But we all come into it completely differently. So it's like, it's, it's, uh, uh, go, I'm going to say his name wrong, but Gabor Mate. Dr. Gabor Mate. Yeah. yeah Dr. Dr. Gabor Mate. He, he says that no two kids have the same parents. Like you could be a brother and a sister, but nobody has yep. the same set of parents. Yeah. Meaning that no matter how close you are, everybody has a different experience on earth. And yeah. yet we try to force people to see our experience. 
Yes. And that's just creating this further calamity of consciousness. Yeah. <sighs> ah, I love your explanation. That was, that was perfect. Um, and working with Dr. Mate before, he's, he's an amazing man. I'm reading his book right now, actually, uh, in the realm of hungry ghosts. Oh. Um, and his book, When the Body Says No, is what transformed my idea that it was possible to heal from asthma. I had to actually have that possibility that it was possible. Um, Hmm. And I wanted to add on your on your analogy because one of the co I used to call myself mantis shrimp coaching, and the reason why I chose that was the mantis shrimp was an animal that defied all logic to me, because here's an animal that has not just one, not just two, not just three primary color receptors like we have. We have the three primary color receptors. It has 15 color receptors in its eyes, which tells us we actually don't know all the different spectrums it could see. Like what its world looks like is completely different it can punch so hard that it can break through a quarry of glass. Like it doesn't kill its prey by actually hitting them all the time. It actually creates this almost a super cavitation around them. And it can heat the water underwater so high that it actually boils right away and just stuns them. And I'm like, all these things don't make sense. And it reminds mm -hmm. me that there's so little that I know. There's so many things beyond our, our explanation. And if we can just open our minds to say, hey, what if it's possible? And I love that. It's like, what if we could just actually see that every experience that we have is different? And I tell people now, it's like, you know, when, they, when we argue about something, it's like, this is what happens. Like, you know what? What I believe I said and what you believe you hear is always going to be different. So our truth, there's no objective reality before. You could say, this is what you said, and you're right. That's what you heard. And I could say, this is what I said, and that's, that's what I think I said. And it could be completely different, and we could both be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. I mean, there's, there's truth and then there's the capital T truth, but like, what is that? Right. And there's so few things we can actually say is capital T truth. Yeah. Well, yeah. and the name of this show is, uh, you know, I'm probably wrong about everything because the older that I get, I realize, man, I don't know. Like it's almost the more you Socrates is such a great example of yeah. a lifelong learner. Instead of giving answers, he always, he just asked questions. Yep. But in our lives, and my observation is of the Western world, is we always just want answers. We don't even want to ask questions. We just want answers. Yep. Yeah. But the answers that we're getting are, you know, they're empty, I think. And, and I look in, I, when I examine my own life, and I call it intent work, and a, a friend of mm -hmm. mine, he helped me. He, he was explaining shadow work, uh, yeah. Carl Jung shadow work. And I was like, Oh my God, what, what is my intent when I do anything? And I think we kind of mute, we press mute on the sound of yeah. intention, right? Because we're so busy that we pause that. And part of it is we're trying to be with control, try to be with knowing, um, right. One of the things that my mentor, Yvonne Rados, he's a meditation master. He gave me a meditation one day just to, just to imagine the idea of I don't know and see what comes up visually. And what came up first was just a question mark, just a simple question mark. And what came up next was the image of me screaming and almost ripping my hair out because it reminded me of being in medicine when I don't know was the worst thing that could happen because it meant that I was failing. It meant that I was not serving. It meant 
that I didn't have control, it meant that I wasn't being the doctor, who knows? And then finally, it morphed into the image of my unborn son. I believe he's a son, I don't know for sure. Um, because his face was the perfect, I don't know. Children don't know anything. They come into this world not knowing, but with their curiosity, it's so beautiful. They can ask anything. And they're here to remind us, I don't know is actually probably the answer. And what I got out of that and interacting with is like, please, when I come out, remind yourself to teach me all the things you know, but also remind me that it doesn't mean it's the truth. It doesn't mean that this is where my curiosity ends. It's just, this is what you've learned, which is a great wisdom to teach me and that I don't actually know. Like, I'll tell you that the world is round and revolves around the sun, but you may actually teach me later on, no, that's not the case at all, dad. I'm glad that you thought that that was the case, but this is what it is now. I'm like, that's awesome. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we, we definitely make assumptions. And I was thinking the other day, like there's flat earthers, right? And yeah. they've just been completely, like the scientific community is, you know, essentially calling them idiots. Yeah. And when we do that to people, when we ostracize them, guess what happens from what I've seen, the historical examples, is that they tend to double down on their beliefs. Yeah. And I think that there's a bit of an answer here when it comes to some of the problems that we're seeing in contemporary society with, you know, uh, systemic racism, um, you know, social class struggles, all these things is that when we say to people, you shouldn't talk like that, it makes them double down on their, on their fears and their, yeah. you know, perhaps their, their prejudices, whatever they may be. But the answer, yeah. like you're saying, is to hold space and to have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the right answer is. I yeah. could, before I tell you, oh, I know how, it's, how to fix this. It's like, wait, I can take a look at my, let's even go to like a mundane 3D thing, like my investing portfolio. I was thinking about the other day. I was like, almost every move I've made in the last few months has been the wrong move. So what do I really know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just a reminder. Sometimes we're like, oh, I can totally predict things. And we, we can't. Thank you, universe, for keeping reminding us. And if we don't keep learning that lesson, we get arrogant and we think that we do. Yeah. There's, hey, can I hold space for your, your opinion and my opinion at the same time? And just be like, what can I learn from this? What's a lesson in this? Yeah, there's always a lesson. And uh, I, I do find like, I try to be again mindful, which is, you know, who am I kidding? I'm not very mindful. Uh, but when I'm on the internet and you see like the, the, the memification of culture and consciousness, and yeah. we get these little pictures that has this little blurb of information, like, you know, essentially saying that people think this way and you're getting reactions, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's accessing that part of our brain that is like, I love this, right? <laughs> and there's such a problem there is because we're almost conditioning ourselves. And I don't know if I'm explaining this properly, but we're conditioning ourselves to be reactive rather than yep. to be mindful. Yeah. And it's whatever gets, it's, it's like this, whatever gets the hits on the internet. And that is what's taking place. I, I, at least that's what I'm observing. And I love it because I can see the segue here for us because that's exactly what we're reinforcing. And that's exactly the work that I'm, that's the reason why I have work is because my work about raising consciousness is keep shifting us out of that 
what mm -hmm. we call almost the default mode network. It's the way that our brain is hardwired to try to react that way because it's a very quick reaction that has kept us safe and alive. And the problem with that is that as we keep going down that route over and over again, it creates almost ruts in our brain. This is the way I must think. And what all the consciousness raising work does is saying, what if we break that open? So you can see that that isn't the only way you need to think. And then you can start actually accessing all the other parts of yourself, that other parts of your intuition, not just that reactive brain. What if we could actually change you to be responsive? You can respond any way you choose. And now you actually get to start choosing. Yeah. Have you read uh, the book, The Choice by Dr. Edith Edgar? Not yet, but I'd love you oh. to send me that link. Dude, she is awesome. She survived the Holocaust. And uh, obviously that's not just what she, you know, her work is, but that's her starting point. You got to check that book out. You'd love it. But have you heard of Viktor Frankl? I was just about to say that's the other one that I would say there is like, it's the, it's the space between stimulus and response that, that I can't remember how the rest of the quote goes that allows us to make that choice essentially. And that's what she says is that everything, cause she talks about, like they were friends, the two of them, cause they'd both survived. Ah. Right. And, and they shared yeah. their, their ideas of, of clinical counseling, but she said, everything in life is a choice, everything. Yeah. And when you realize that you have the choice, you are bringing power back onto yourself because yeah. we, so many of us, we, I say there's a, kind of like a weird triangle that there's the victim, there's the victimizer, but outside of that is the victor. And that's yeah. the person that just breaks from that. And they say, you know what? I'm not here because of any external stimulus. I'm not here because people dislike me or because I'm poor. I'm here because I'm here and I can make choices to get myself out. So let's go into you because you made a choice to get out of being a doctor. What, what made that choice for you? Um, first, I love that you used the word Victor earlier because I'm, not, I'm gonna remember that analogy forever because of Victor Frankl as well now. Um, for myself, getting out of medicine didn't feel like a choice at that time. Uh, 10 years ago, I burnt out completely. Um, I had a beautiful support network and one of my friends died from an ice climbing accident and just that network shattered. And then I had a patient who had uh, an outcome that wasn't what I expected or wanted. And then that threw everything off. And I found myself essentially catatonic, depressed, uh, suicidal one day on the couch and just did not know how to go on. And it took me a couple of years to actually come back to myself. And what I have since realized it took seven years to find myself again. I worked at Apple. I worked in pharmaceuticals for a while just to, just to do things that made money. And, and they were wonderful things. They were part of my journey. But it was only almost a decade later that I found out, oh, I never wanted to be a doctor. I just never recognized that that uh that part of me i was the dutiful son i thought this is my duty to do this i have the brains to do it I have the capacity to do it and i i love helping people that that part has never changed um but i couldn't break myself out of the mold i couldn't actually bring myself to quit until i was so broken down that i wasn't sure i wanted to exist anymore and it took me that long to realize that's the gift of being completely burnt out is that quite often 
for many of us, that's the only time we're willing to make the kinds of shifts that we actually do need to make. And I can look back and see the gift in that now. And, and it's always the gift in your own darkest shadows because now I've worked with so many people who are trying to change careers, who want to make that big transition, but are scared. And I have that credibility now and that ability to connect with them because I've made that transition. And I can tell them it isn't easy. It isn't, it isn't uh, without fear and you're going to have times of doubt for sure. But making it, looking back, is going to probably be the best decision you've ever made. And I know it was for me. Well, and, and you're describing that kind of metamorphosis. Mm -hmm. I love the analogy of the caterpillar and how the caterpillar turns into a cocoon, liquefies itself or something like that. I don't know the, exactly yeah. what happens and becomes this beautiful butterfly. Yeah. And there's been so many times in my life that I've hit rock bottom. Like I should never be a sailor because I'd just be constantly hitting <laughs> the coral reefs, but I've hit rock bottom so many times. And, you know, the one thing that has saved my life is my amazing wife, who is like the mm -hmm. most supportive patient person ever. I mean, cause God, anybody knows me, Jesus, they, they need patience and you know, whatever. And my daughter. And it's like, these two things have made me realize, okay, you know what? Maybe it's not like, what, what is it that we really value here? Are we working towards a pension? What if you die tomorrow, right? Yeah. And I've heard of so many people, they retire and like a year later they die. And it's like, yeah. who are we living for? I, I guess that's my question. And you, you looked inside yourself and you said, am I doing this for my, my parents to be the good son? Or am I doing this for myself? Yeah. So how did you fall into this then? into this. And thanks for saying that. And I'll remind people that I didn't have any of those questions when I was going through it. So none mm. of those questions were coming up for me then. It's only in hindsight now that I can see it. And, and doing what I'm doing now, I can actually live every day. My, my wife actually asked me the day, it's like, you know, um, what would you think if you died tomorrow? I was like, I die really happy because I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm doing the best that I can. Even on the days that I fail, I recognize now that that was supposed to happen. Um, because I'd rather fail quicker, fail faster, fail better now um, than wait 10 years. And that's, I love that having that barometer. And I'm like, hey, if it doesn't take me 10 years to figure something out, I'm doing pretty well. Um, so uh, how did I get into what I'm doing now? Um, well, I worked in the corporate world for a couple of years, making that six figures, like that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and then got burnt out from that as well. Um, and I was having trouble with that took a few months off. We traveled Southeast Asia. Something in me just told me we need to do this. And I love that she was a game for it. We did that. Came back and I was like, I can't just go back to another job. I need to take some time. And took some time and woke up one day and heard a podcast about physician suicide and being an epidemic. And I was like, I want to fix that. And that's how I got into life coaching because I chatted with a doctor who was doing that work. But then as I did that, I started discovering myself, which is so different from wanting to fix other people and so much more challenging because I had to start confronting myself and being with all the parts that I hid, the parts that I was shameful for, the parts that I had tears for. I did so much crying that year doing coaching. And as I was doing that, I was so grateful that I ran into someone we affectionately call our fairy drug mother. Uh, she's a pharmacist who uh, gifted me LSD for my birthday. 
Mm. And I would never take drugs when I was younger because I was thought I was addictive personality. Your brain. I thought I'm gonna get, yeah. Right, well, my yeah, brain, like yeah. it's going to get melted. But then I remembered that I just worked for Apple a few years ago and Steve Jobs had said LSD mm. was like one of the most transformative experiences. And I thought, you know what? What the hell? Yeah. I mean, if it worked for him, why not? I'll be dead a long time. Exactly. <laughs> and when I did that, it was the first time I could actually feel the souls of two other people. It was my, my partner and uh, our fairy drug mother. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. And it just opened up a whole other path to consciousness that I didn't expect. Um, and exploring that world of uh, spirit plant medicine is, is the term many of us use. Uh, to awaken parts of myself that had been sleeping for a long time. Now, I, I there's a term that I used to employ in my life, and that's Dionysian. Is it rage? Dionys. Anyways, it, it's again looking at the intent of what you're doing. A lot of people they view uh, spirit plant medicine as not spirit plant medicine. They view it as psychedelic you know, whatever, this, that, or the next thing. And they use it yeah. because they're like, I want to party and I want to forget and I want to enter this weird world. Yeah. And I was part of that culture, more so with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to party and like forget about everything. And I remember one time I saw a picture of myself and I was just, it, it I got really upset. I was sad because, you know, I was crying because I saw that I was just trying to shut my mind off. Mm -hmm. And then I started, I started thinking about my daughter and I was like, Jesus, if she saw this, what am I telling her? So I need to figure my shit out essentially. Yeah. And you know, that got me, that, that got me going down this rabbit hole. And then I found this and I'm like, hold on, this is it. Because in this environment, it's a therapeutic environment, right? You were with yeah. people who could kind of guide you through. Yeah. So it's funny. I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there. The first times they weren't truly guided experiences, but it right. was, I always knew that I, I was an introvert growing up and I always knew I wanted to go inwards with any of these things. And I don't talk. And that's one of the greatest gifts that I gave myself was even before I knew about ceremony, I didn't talk, which allowed me to go and journey in and be with the parts that I didn't want to be with to grapple with the stuff I need to grapple with. Um, and it was only later on when I was finally ready for my first ceremony um, that I actually was shown how much more potential these had for healing. So I almost find there's different layers. There's the recreational use. You can, right. you know, just enjoy, be with people, socialize, all that stuff. There's the inward use. You can take it on your own and actually try to journey on your own inwards. And then there's that next level, which is actually having guidance. People who have been there before, who've journeyed there before, who don't know what you're going to know, but can actually hold that space and make sure that you feel as safe as possible to go even deeper. And you had something there? Well, I was going to say... I. I feel like that's for, for a lot of this work, you hear about bad trips yeah. and uh, you know, I read that book, how to change your mind. And it's saying like, well, there are no bad trips, right? Even the guy yeah. who wrote that inflammatory, like, 
LSD is going to kill you. Even in that article, he's like, well, actually, there was some pretty cool moments, right? And, but the idea of having someone there with you, and I think in your other podcast, you talked about angels kind of being yeah. there. I think that that is such a, a healthy way of doing it. Yeah. Right? Because who knows what you're going to unearth. But having someone there for you is just such a, a safe it just, it really, it, it, to me, it makes me feel comfortable. It's like, okay, that I, this person's in a safe space. Yeah. So this, I'm going to take us back to the Lion King then. Um, because the idea of the bad trip, my first guided ceremonial trip was with ayahuasca. Um, and I was able to do that locally. Thankfully, I found someone that I could trust. I was terrified of because I read about Tim Ferriss's account of having grand mal seizures. And I was like, I don't want to die. And then I finally found someone who's like, oh, wow, I really trust this person. Like they have education. They've really been doing this work. And I knew I could be there. And after taking the medicine, the first two hours was an experience of me dying over and over and over again. Um, it was terrifying. And it actually got to the point where it felt like every time I breathed out, I died. And every time I breathed in, I got shocked back to life with the paddles. And not only that, though, I drifted so far out that I didn't actually know who I was. I had no existence of me, Nick, anything. And so much so that when I started coming back, I started biting my shoulder to hold on to even the semblance of reality for a bit. And I woke up with this giant bruise here. Now, if I had done that without this container, and there's going to be more to this story, um, that would have scarred me for life. Because yeah. in a way it did. I was terrified after this. Um, and it was bringing out my entire fear of death, a fear of nothingness, because when I actually breathed out and died, it was more than just death. It was almost feeling like there's nothing there. And I'll end this part of the loop first. Even in that contained experience, I had amazing um, ceremonial holders, healers, all that. I didn't get resolution on that aspect of things until about a year later when I met my mentor, Yvonne. And I told him about this experience and he said, oh, said, because we were going on a journey, he said, this is the journey into nothingness. And that's the only time it finally hit. He's like, it's when you can finally realize, even when you feel like you're nothing, when you think that there's nothing, that you still see that you exist. And that's what that experience was. Even when I felt like I was nothing, I still existed. Then what is there to fear? Because a lot of us fear about that death and becoming nothing. We think that there's nothing beyond, like I'm going to cease existing. And the medicine was giving me an experience of ceasing to exist. And then remembering that even in that ceasing to exist, that's life. Yeah. And it always comes back. We are infinite beings. And one of the greatest gifts I find in medicine is it allows you to die before you have to physically die in this body. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny that you mentioned this because, you know, you, you look at hubris in the dictionary and, uh, you know, I would be a textbook, uh, example of it one time i took i took edibles and i took two of them and then i went to a float tank but i just i was like oh yeah i'm gonna do this this is gonna be great it was the worst experience ever like i thought a gateway into hell was opening and you know i it was just it was so you know it wasn't dangerous but it was just such a bad experience but had I have had people there to say, hey, no, you're, you're, you're all right, and you know, coach you through it, 
that's what I needed. But when you go through that by yourself, you know, it's, yeah, that's, that's not for an amateur. And what I, I, I do, I am concerned about people scarring themselves with those experiences and not being able to come back, not being able to find that resolution to integrate that into their life, to make it mean something, because all of this is meaning for you. It's, are you able to get the support? And I'm going to put it out there for everyone. It doesn't matter who you speak to in some ways. Um, I'd love you to speak to Robert as a registered clinical counselor who has had some experience uh, ourselves. We do post psychedelic integration work as well, but speak to someone because a lot of us keep those right. bad trips buried in ourselves, fearful as opposed to speaking to someone who can actually help unlock that and see what the gift in that was. Um, there's always a gift and, and sometimes, and, and maybe even forgot the rest of the gift of the journey because for me, and, and you said like, even how you change your mind, like people are like, Oh yeah, there's something good about it after those first two hours of dying with ayahuasca, then she decided to take me on the next part of the journey, which was tumbling back. I thought I was, I wanted to heal from the trauma from my time in medicine. That's what I asked for. Mm. What she did was she took me all the way back to my birth because around my birth, I'd forgotten that um, I actually had two older brothers. My oldest one is alive still. My second one died of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome at two months of age. And um, my parents only decided to have me after him because they thought they got a message. They thought that they heard a noise. And, and so as I was pregnant, after I was born, they told me this before that I had lots of monitors on me because they want to make sure that I wasn't going to suddenly die as well. They were terrified that that might happen. What I didn't realize though, was that their fear, which is totally legitimate, transferred onto me as well. That was the trauma that I experienced. It wasn't an intentional trauma by them. It, it was this passive component that they couldn't help. And for good reason, there was no therapy back then. They didn't have any counseling. They didn't have any specific grief work or death work. And so all of that fear poured into me and all the expectation I, is what I got out of it. I expected myself to live for not just my life, but for my brother who died's life, Fabian. And that is the weight that I've been carrying for over 30 years. That's the weight of my asthma being unable to breathe because there's so much pressure. Whoa. And as that healed, I was able to breathe. And as I healed and that weight was coming off, that was the beautiful part and brings us back to Lion King because that's when Mufasa appeared for me. That was the image she used for me to trigger it was he was coming back to me in the clouds and saying, remember who you are remember the almost the king the the human being the the whole being that you are and i was just laying there and just feeling like feeling like simba being held up feeling like myself being reminded and remembering the person i was and crying and just and just loving it and and as well i was with my partner my wife we just gotten married and part of it, it shifted back and forth that i was the king and she was my queen. And then to shift and be like, she was the king and I was her queen. It reminded me that it wasn't that one of us was greater than the other. We're both here to serve, support each other to be all that we can be. And it helped take my ego out of it. Because at first my ego was like, all right, I'm going to be a king and do these great things. Like, no. Like, it's just that we're actually stepping into ourselves. Like, we're actually remembering the being that we always were. And it was just amazing. 
Um, and the physical changes I'll tell people about as well, because I went from being shivering and cold to throwing out the blankets, just being like, oh my God, I feel so warm and so comfortable. And that was the gift of grandmother that day. Um, I'll share the second component because I've shared this with many people as well. I, I feel called to before I finish this is that I wasn't sure I was going to take, there was two sittings. I wasn't sure I was going to take the sitting the second night uh, because I was like, I'm terrified of this. I don't want to die for two hours. Even though I had that beautiful component to it, I was more terrified. The fear was overriding until finally I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll take the same dose. I'll hope for the best. You know, I, I came here, I paid for this. I want to do this. Um, and I did, and I resisted for two hours because I didn't want to die again. So instead, grandmother burned every single nerve in my body. So I felt like I was literally burning alive for two hours because she was reminding me, if you want to keep fighting, we can fight. We can do this dance. Right. And on the second night, it felt more mild. I definitely saw so many different things. But the really key part that I've shared with so many people, even back then, is she kept telling me, she's like, over these next two years, enjoy yourself. Have your trips. Have your vacations. Go see the things you want to see. Because in two years, you're going to have a son. And I'm calling down the soul of him right now. And she called down the soul of my unborn son. Oh my God. And, and that night later on, um, someone told me that they were looking across and they saw this beam of light shining down on me. And this was in complete darkness as well. And just shining down on me. And then my uh, healer who guided us um, later on said, oh, it's funny because I was visited by a little boy. He was sitting in my bed and I was wondering who he was because he had dark hair. And he, she asked him, where'd you come from? And he points up. She's like, oh, I wonder if he came to visit me because we were, our rooms were literally next to each other. And I shared this story, not thinking much of it because my wife and I never thought about having kids. Um, well, not never thought about it. We thought we weren't going to have kids. We were like, you know what? Neither of us feel really called to it. And so we weren't trying. We weren't not trying, but we weren't trying. Mm -hmm. Um, and when we got the due date, September 22nd, and we actually looked at it, it's literally exactly two years from the date that I did that ceremony. When we include in the fact that there was a leap year, there's one extra day. And I was like, you can't make this stuff no. up. You can't make yeah. and, and I kept telling people, it's like, I told you about this, right? It's like, yeah, you're like two years, two years. I was like, all right, shit. This is not me making it up anymore. This is just, these are just the, the things that the divine's trying to remind me of. Do you, now I, I'm an agnostic. I'm, yeah. you know, do you think that that's your, your brother who passed away? Like, do you think it's like, do you believe in that kind of stuff? Like, I believe in, in the beings and I believe that there's more out there. I believe he's still there. I believe he interacted with me. My brother actually interacted with me the first night because I was talking to him. And I said, hey, where are you now? He's like, he's like, oh, I'm actually a linebacker for the Miami Dolphins now. I'm like, what? And I was like, all right. So I start, you know, trying to think about, all right, which, which one is he? And then I can't remember, think, I can't know if it's later on that night or another night. He's like, oh, yeah. I was like, I was like where are you guys? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm linebacker for like the 49ers. He's like, wait a second. Yeah. You didn't say that last time. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm just fucking around with you. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't think it's his soul coming. I don't know right. whose soul it is, but yes, I believe it's, it's another, it's, it, I, I believe that there actually is a soul. I believe he's called in and I can speak more about that as well because he's been kicking our ass. Yeah. He's not born yet and he's been kicking our ass already. Oh, <laughs> you're sad. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you have a name picked out? You don't have to, you don't have to say it. I'm just curious. No, we no. actually, I got this idea from a, a brother of mine. I was in the Samurai Brotherhood before, and he said he didn't pick the name for his child till after they were born. Cause he's like, I want to give them a chance to really step in and get some intuition. I thought that's a great idea. Mm. Like we have ideas, but we haven't picked out a name. Cause like, we'll see, we'll see yeah. what he wants. And it may not even be a he, it may just be a really strong masculine energy. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, there's there's so much great stuff to talk about here. Um, one thing that, like, there's the, uh, I can't even think of the word now because I'm so into that story. But there's the, the shame. Like, I, I was talking to a person and he's straight edge. Like, he doesn't drink, you know. But I could tell he's got some repressed stuff going on. You know, yeah. not to speak for him, but that's just kind of what I'm picking up. And I'm like, you know, have you ever thought about uh, spirit plant medicine? He's like, well, if you do that, you're just a drug addict. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what a what a way to shut that conversation down. Yeah. How do we get rid of stigma? That's it. How do we get rid of the stigma around this? <sighs> and. The words that come back to me are the words that my mentor Yvonne has always shared. This is his mantra that he uses when we go into journeys. Mm -hmm. It's just a simple three-step process, he tells us. It's allow, accept, and let go. Okay. Allow, accept, and let go. And this teaching has been critical for me, and I see it for this, even this question, how do we get rid of the stigma? Because part of me immediately, the reactive side is like, yeah, we need to fight this. We need to get rid of this. But what if we didn't try to fight it? What if we remembered to just allow for the stigma? What if we allowed for it in the sense that that was me four years ago? Mm. Four years ago, if you told me about this stuff, I'm like, they're drugs. That's what I've been taught my entire life. Why would I say anything different? When I was in medicine, especially, I counsel people not to do drugs. And it was, it was where I was. It was where I was in my own level of consciousness and knowing. And what if I allowed for that first to hear from the other person, to hear where they're coming from, to not try to push my stuff in. Right. And the accept part is really key. If you can accept something or someone, including yourself exactly as it is, that's truly ultimate love. That's what Yvonne's taught me. Ultimate acceptance is ultimate love. Loving every part of yourself and accepting it. And from there, things transform, transmute, let go naturally. That's when you connect to the point because they no longer feel, shit, I've got something to fight against. Right. I got this person who's trying to push something on me, push his views. I'll show him how right I am, how wrong he is. And it may not happen right away. And that's usually the case. It doesn't happen in the time frame you want. But it allows and accepts for that space to open up and those dialogues to come too. Yeah. I, I love that. Allow, I, I wrote that down. I'm like, I gotta write this down. Allow, accept, let go. And I think that that is uh, integrative anywhere in life. Yeah. Right? There's a poet that I often quote, and I know I butcher it, but it's Rumi. And he says, you know, yesterday I thought I could change the world. Today I know I can change myself. I'm wise. I can change myself. And that's, that's that part of it is that we try to like – force things. And I know in my own life that I can be quite aggressive, I guess is the proper word for it. <laughs> it's force things to my will, but I need to take accountability of myself. 
I've heard that the things that we despise the most in others are just mere reflections of ourselves. Yeah. And thank you, because that's something you really see. Before I forget, one of the things I really want to start putting out there, mm-hmm. when you say allow, accept, let go, please quote that as Yvonne Rados. That's yes. his teaching. Yeah. And I want to get that out there more because we want to bring things back to their sources, just like yeah. we quoted Victor Frankl earlier or Dr. Right. Gabor Mate. As we bring things back, I'm bringing things back to Yvonne now because that way people don't think I came up with it and they can actually get deeper into it. I'm still deepening my appreciation for all these concepts I'm sharing with you. And it's because I actually still get to work with my mentor. And I'm going to put in another plug to people is find mentorship. Because whoever it is, there's no right mentor out there, but find mentorship, someone you look up to. They're not going to be perfect. They'll all have their flaws because they're human as well. But as you find mentorship, that's what's going to allow you to get deeper than yourself. It's going to up-level you. Get to, you get to bypass a lot of things that we have to learn on our own. You don't have to make all the same mistakes. And... Yeah, and, and I'm reminding myself to share these quotes because that way people know where to go, where to go next. I want them to keep looking for him because, man, if, if more people do, that's going to be amazing. So do you still work with uh, Yvonne Radif? Sorry. Rados. Yvonne Rados. 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 Yes, I still do. I still do. Um, and I'm grateful that we do. We work together as part of a, a team called the Magic Witnessing Meditation Team. Yes. So what is... Explain how that works. If is it readily available for people to access yet? Um, the medicine. Well, the, your 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 magic witnessing program. Your, the uh, magic witnessing program. Yes. So we'll give you the website as well. Intranaut.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. We've got a couple of groups. Um, now that things have settled out for COVID, we were on pause for a while, obviously. Um, but yes, we're getting started again. Uh, we have a wilderness retreat, the first one that we've ever had, uh, where we actually get to combine so many modalities, have three days, be out in the beautiful wilds of BC, August 21st, 23rd, and then we'll have ceremonies about once a month at least in town. Um, so um, we are readily available and people can reach out to me anytime. I give myself the title Internaut Concierge because I want to support people with any work that they want to do going inwards spear plant medicine being one of them, but whether it's breath, whether it's sound, whether I need to guide you to someone else, I don't, I'm not always the person for you. Our team isn't always a team for you, but we want you to raise your consciousness. Like that's, that's, that's our goal. Like raising consciousness through love is almost our mission. Yeah. So much of what you say is that, you know, you, you, you used to live in terms of these titles, like you were a doctor, you were in business, you're making six figures. Um, and, and we, we love these titles, right? Like, yeah. oh yeah, I make six figures. But then you look at the amount of people that are just totally unhappy doing those things. Yeah. And it's, it's like, and then you go back to being a mentor, having, you know, having a mentee, whatever it may be, but giving back. And that seems to have brought you joy. Yeah. Why is it that we... Why is it that that's the answer to happiness, do you think? The titles you mean or what, what I'm doing now? Well, giving back. Why is that the key to happiness, do you think? Because th- that's what I'm picking up. Mm. Um, it's funny because 
I'm giving back, but I'm also giving to myself and being more selfish than I ever have been in a way. And I think this is the thing that I'm realizing is that I joked about it when my wife and I first met. I always told her, it's like, you know, you're my silver medal. I'm my gold. <laughs> and it was a joke then. And now it's actually come to be reality. And I've realized that because I put myself first a lot of the times now, whether it's taking my time to do my own meditation, my own work, my own development, um, being with the feelings I have, the rage, the anger that can come out at times. I put myself first because I'm like, why would I put someone else first? I need to do my own work first. I need to love myself first because the depth I can love myself is how much I can love others. So in some ways I'm more selfish than I've ever been. Um, and I think that's the thing that most people forget too. Giving back is critical, but giving back first means giving to yourself more love than you've ever wanted to or expected to. But the way that you give yourself love is no longer the old way. It was where it's, I need to make more money so I can buy more things so I can show off more and make it look like I'm doing better. Don't look like you're doing better. Don't go on another vacation just to see another part of the world, be able to brag that I went there. But every day that I do this, we talk, my wife and I were like, we're so lucky. Like yesterday, we just went out to the lake and sat around and meditated and read. But we do that almost every day of the week. We don't have a regular schedule. Every day, I'll breathe for at least two hours usually because that's, that's my work, my own breath work. Um, every day, I'll do things for myself. And because I do that, it gives me such a capacity to be with others, to be with their stuff, to be able to hold space. The other day I was about to, I gifted my massage therapist of all people a breath session because I could, after our chats during my massage, it's like you, you could really use him opening up. And as we did that, before he started breathing, he laid down and he started shaking right away because his body knew that it was going to go through something it wasn't ready for. It wasn't, it was going to be outside of his norm. His mind was upset. It could no longer control. And he, even without breathing really, because we barely got into the breath, there was so much going on. He was able to have a past life experience. And I say past life and some people may or may not believe that and it's okay if you don't, but he had an experience that meant so much to him. And so many tears came out that afterwards he was, it was a whole different him. And I look forward to that. And that, that's the thing I realized after I did that, I was like, oh, part of it's because I now give myself the time and space, the capacity. And so that's what I would really put out to everyone is like, yes, giving back brings so much joy, but only when it's truly giving back because you have so much of yourself to give. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a great analogy. I mean, I tell kids all the time, you know, clients that I work with, the, the whole oxygen mask, right? And on an airplane, they say, you know, you always put your mask on first before you try and help somebody else. And they're like, well, yeah. why is that? Well, I'm like, well, you know, if, if you pass out because you don't have your oxygen mask on, are you going to be able to help anybody? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that the media does, and there's some goodness and some badness, we're in a dualistic world to it, is they glorify people sacrificing themselves for others as if that's the most noble thing. And what's happened is we've become a society of sacrificers so that no one's truly happy then. And so when I was working as a doctor, I had no trouble sacrificing myself. I had easily went 24, 30 hours without eating. And mm. I do that regularly. And my friends would try to stop me. I weighed 105 pounds at my lightest and I'm five foot six. And that's a terrible Jeez. weight for me. Yeah. Um, 
but I had no troubles doing that because I was always like, I can do more and give more. And that's the problem I had as a doctor is I was giving myself for someone else. Whereas now when I do the healing work that I'm doing, what I love, and I learned this from Yvonne and his beloved as well, is that I can only heal others by healing myself at the same time. Like you said earlier, like everyone else is a reflection of you. When we're doing work and healing others of their darkness, we're actually healing our own darkness at the same time, which is why in some ways I can say I've got the best job in the world. And in other ways we joke around because Yvonne told me, he's like, we're like cosmic janitors. We clean up the shit no one else wants to clean up. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I find the work that you guys do is, is so awesome, so helpful. And, uh, and you'd mentioned that, you know, like, I'm like, man, I want to do something like this, like, like have this experience with you guys. Mm-hmm. When, like, how, how does it look? Like, I've heard that there's, there's the before session, there's, you know, this is it. And then there's the integration, right? And, and that's when after everything that's happened is you take time to kind of synthesize it into your life. Is that how it sort of works or? And, and you're bringing in the most important components. So I'm going to give you an example of our one day ceremony, for example. Okay. And know that we have so many different ways we can do this. We expand this out into three days. Like I told you, I'm taking a man out in the wilderness tomorrow. It's one of our deepest experiences that Yvonne's created. He created this wild Zen program uh, to help people, help men find their true masculinity. But let's focus on the one day because it's the most accessible one to people who want to dip their toe in or people who've already gone on money journeys. Like we've had people who've gone on, I can't remember over 50 or 100 ayahuasca journeys who've come for this one day and be like, holy crap, this, is, this has been transformative. So not to ever discount people saying, oh, this is just for the kids. It's not that at all. Uh, it's for every level, but it's the easiest one to conceptualize. Let's say we meet at around noon and we get together, everyone gets a little more comfortable, gets into their space. Um, everyone's already filled out a medical screening questionnaire because we wanna make sure we screen everything that way. Uh, everyone's always already been told a little bit about diet. There's nothing specific for us, uh, but we invite people not to eat red meat, you know, dairy, gluten, sugar, alcohol, because it helps to cleanse the body a little bit, helps to keep you from getting as grounded. Um, uh, or rooted is probably the better word. Like all of us are grounded, but not rooted into the earth because we want to be able to rise up and float a little bit and enjoy that. Um, and so we meet and what we do is Yvonne and Lana, uh, Yvonne's, uh, Lana's Yvonne's beloved. Uh, they'll set the stage by, by sharing some wisdom and they allow whatever comes up to come up. They've had 35 years of psychotherapeutic, of intuitive healing, of meditation, of, of experience, of wisdom, of wealth. And they've actually come from a war-torn country, been refugees. So there's so many life experiences they can bring in. And they do. They bring that in to set the stage for people, to help people start thinking outside their minds, to start seeing the different ways of being, to get accustomed to the idea of allow, accept, and let go. Because you really want to get us started outside of that. And then we make sure we actually set a container to make sure everything's nice and safe. Um, I bring in my breath as well to get people grounded in their breath because that's going to be your biggest internal physical tool to come back to your body whenever you need to because there's times you feel like you're floating too far away you need to come back 
And so we do all this before and even before the medicine because you want everyone to be on the same page because everyone is coming in usually as strangers. And it's funny because they're going to leave as family, but they don't know that yet. And so then we set the intents because intent, intent setting is so important. And, and I'm going to let Yvonne share with you whenever you do meet about the difference between intention and intent setting. Mm. Um, and so we set our intents so that people can actually get clear and grounded on where they want to go. And many people, some people come with a laundry list of bucket and we'll get them to distill it down to one or two words because we really want to get clear on what it is they want to get because whatever you actually intend, you're going to get. It may not come the way you want it to, but it will come through and you want to be clear on it. And so then we invite everyone to actually drink the medicine, to actually journey. And the journey usually lasts about four hours. And what's unique about our journey is that we have, it's interactive as well. We will be journeying with you so we can actually guide you in the ways that we need to. We'll allow you to go through your stuff, but when you get stuck, we sometimes give you a little nudge. Whether it's physically, we'll know different parts to do a little bit of body work on, whether it's with my tuning forks, whether it's with saying a few words to you. Uh, but all of this is an internal journey. We don't talk during this journey. Yvonne is the maestro. He's the curator of the playlist. And so he'll play music that will evoke uh, different parts of the journey. There'll be crying, there'll be laughing, there'll be yelling, there'll be screaming, but we'll keep inviting people to go inward because we want to try to keep an environment for everybody. And throughout that whole process, we'll be with you and you're never alone and your 3D body is always safe, whether you need to go to the washroom or something else. Afterwards, we have a little celebration coming together. We have a little beautiful snack because uh, you want to ground your body again and, and a little bit of food. And then what I love is that Yvonne and Lana, again, because of the 35 years of experience and because of myself as well with my years of experience as a medical doctor, as a, as a coach and everything else I've had in my life, we lead the integration. We allow people to share whatever they feel called to share and not just allow people to share, but what we do is we actually help bring some context to it. We help bring some flavor to it for how to actually impact that back to their intent, back into their life as we know them. And this for us has gone on for a couple hours usually each time after the session. Um, so know that when we have multi-day ones, it can last longer, but usually a couple hours. And what that allows people to do is really take something back with them. And we get reports from people that the weeks afterwards, they keep integrating more and more. And now we have post-integration sessions as well. We try to do some sessions outside of the medicine work too. Um, but that way you can keep it into a one-day container because for most people, especially if, you're, if you've got a busy life, it's how do I make enough time for this work? How do I actually dedicate enough time? And that way we can create it in a day where you're still going as deep as you can still doing some of the integration and getting to take it back in your life. And the reminder always is for everyone, doesn't matter if it's two hours, doesn't matter if it's 10 days of integration, mm -hmm. remember that you're always integrating. For me, just the reminder earlier is it took me a year after my Aya journey to integrate that last little piece, that journey into nothingness, because I couldn't make sense of it. So know that it may take you that long to get it, but you'll get it when you're supposed to. But what's important is that there is a, is an integration and as well that they know they can always reach out they can reach out to myself to lana to yvonne and some people do for one-on-one -on -one healing afterwards it's like oh how do i integrate or now i know i'm ready for that next layer of my journey yeah that i just find like our, our brains are such amazing organs mm -hmm. and 
it's like, have you ever heard of the stoned ape theory? I have, yes. But go ahead. Yeah, and and it's this idea that that an animal ate, you know, psilocybin mushrooms or or, or some kind of a, a, a spirit plant medicine, and was able to expand its consciousness and think differently. Yeah, and I just find that, like, this work can really open us up to new experiences and possibly to like the way that we see the world, excuse me, let me rewind the tape. The way that I see the world Mm -hmm. is quite narrow minded. And I don't think that that's doing me any favors. Mm. So this is definitely something that I want to continue researching. Yeah. So once again, how can people, get a hold of you uh, if this is something that they would be interested in doing. And thanks for asking. And, and I'll say, I love that stone date theory. I'm a big fan and proponent of psilocybin. It's one of the uh, most accessible, but also the gentlest uh, medicines out there. Um, and for people who are looking into research the medicine, I think it's one of the first ones I would take a look at if I were you looking into it. Um, Getting a hold of me is relatively simple. I'm here in Vancouver, BC. Um, I'll be in the Lower Mainland area in general. Uh, you can reach me via the website that you'll have, intranaut.com, uh, Facebook. I'm there under Nicholas Wong. Um, you can reach me at my email, concierge at intranaut.com. Uh, we are um, an affiliate or a partner with uh, the Conscious Living Network as well. Um, Eventually, very soon, you'll have my website, Internaut Concierge, as well. And I can share that story another time about the concierge piece. Um, and, and really, even give me a call and reach out to Robert if you've got questions, and I'm sure he'll direct you in this direction. Um, but we are open for everyone reaching out. We want to hear from you because that's just it. We have this if we can see that we're looking through just our lens how can we expand that lens that's that's what we want we want people who are willing to explore their consciousness and it doesn't need to be the spirit plant medicine right away happy to take you through breath or something else that can bring you to this altered state of consciousness naturally just through your own breathing happy to just have a chat because that's what some people need and as well i am here to remind people that yeah um there are many people doing this work reach out to the one you're called to. And if you're called to us, reach out, knowing that there is a physician, a psychotherapist, a meditation master. Like that's, that's part of the reason why our team resonates so widely is because we have that Eastern and that Western uh, combination. Uh, I'm so grateful now looking back that I became a doctor because I needed to, because now I have this credibility when I speak because it's not that I haven't done all this. I'm not just some hippie who's always been a hippie. I've lived my life thinking things are a certain way. And now I've finally been able to integrate this extra component. Um, and I will say Western medicine isn't bad. Um, we need it when needed. Like my wife and I have needed it during her pregnancy. It's been very critical. Antibiotics and medicines for asthma have saved my life. They've got me to this point. But they've been treating the symptoms as opposed right. to actually digging under the root cause. And that's what I love about doing this work. And please reach out if you're willing to actually dive into the root causes of why something's happening in your life, why things, why patterns are repeating. And I'm going to put out almost a little challenge for you, Robert. I look forward to having a future podcast with you after we've experienced something because 
I think it's going to be a very different conversation again. I would love and that. This, yeah, this conversation already was beautiful, and I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> well, well, thank you once again, Nicholas, for your time. Um, and uh, by the way, you were referring to people reaching out to me if they had questions, correct? They can reach out to you if they have questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Reach out to you, and then I'm sure you'll point them in my direction. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I yeah. – you know, I, I am in the very early nascence of this understanding. So, you know, yeah. which is early and in nascence is kind of a, anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I'll remind you as well, when people ask me, I'm still at that too, in a sense. Right. I always remind people we're all on our different stages of our journey. Because some people come to me like, oh, you must know this and this and this. And like, mm -hmm. I don't. But thank you for introducing me. Because there's no way I'm going to know everything about everything. I will know what I know already or yeah. believe what I believe already. I'll share that with you. But every time you give me something new, it's just another exciting point for me to look at. Yeah. And it's the same thing for you, Robert. You know so much more than many people do. So feel free to give your level of expertise and experience. And that's why I always am glad I've got Yvonne and Lana. I'm like, hey, I can direct you to the next level too. But quite often, all you need is this to get started. Right. And quite often, it's only we're trying to reinforce all our logical fears. Once you're willing to say yes to yourself, then say yes. And then you'll see the next door open. Yeah. Awesome. That's beautifully said. <laughs> well, let's, uh, yeah, I, I like that. Let's, let's end there. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon and, and, and sharing you with, uh, with our audience. Thank you very much. Talk okay. again soon, Robert. All right. Once again, that was Dr. Nicholas Wong sharing with us his journey of discovery and healing. And so many themes are left with me that I'm thinking of and that I've integrated into my own life. And it's especially around these uh, identifying what are the weights in our lives, the, the worries that we carry that are, are, are holding us down. What can we do to let go of our burdens? Or in the words of Ivan Rados, how can we allow, accept, and let go so that we can live fuller lives? Lives full of breath and, and life. Thank you once again for listening. I hope uh, you enjoyed. Be sure to check out the Magic Witnessing Meditation Team's website at www.intronautconcierge.com. You can also email with them at concierge at intronaut.com for more information. And uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you.